profit wasn't even, you know, getting to profitability is good, but long-term viability and growth is better in some regard, right? So Netflix was in the United States, and we expanded to Canada, Brazil, Latin America, um, UK and Ireland. Um, but we were having some strong issues with our content. Our content wasn't very powerful and compelling in other markets like Seoul, uh, South Korea, Japan, uh, Germany. This, it was just wasn't compelling for a variety of reasons. So the shift to Netflix originals allowed Netflix to unlock the entire global market. Well, in order to do that, they have to spend tons of money. They have to go into debt. Mm-hmm. But investors and boards are totally fine with that because that means their pool of who, can, who they can acquire as customers is yeah, much bigger, which can lead to more profits later on down the road. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not so average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by former Netflix marketer Barry Endewick for a fascinating discussion about growth in uncertainty, including the role of data in guiding the best way forward. Barry and I sat down for coffee at the Hilton Sydney in a break in the annual Australian Market and Social Research Society conference. Barry is a passionate advocate of the role of research in disruptive business and critically asking the right questions that the incumbent often misses or is unable to respond to. We discussed Barry's 11 years at Netflix while it scaled globally and disrupted large default competitors at the time. A fascinating discussion as to why the cashed-up establishment such as Blockbuster didn't see the end approaching and why such businesses are slow to respond to more hungry and agile innovators. A great story of strong leadership triumphing. Uh, Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning... Thank you so much for joining us today, Barry. Now, like I said, we're up to about 30-something interviews, and it's kind of been a bit of a quirk. We kind of discovered in about the first or second interview that it's kind of good to go back to what people were like when they were a kid. Okay. And then kind of quickly kind of escalate up to, to them now. So what were you like as a, I don't know, let's say an eight-year-old? Uh, as an eight-year-old, somewhat artistic, um, not terribly outgoing, not terribly... Uh, physical but i loved comedy and i loved being goofy yeah um what does that mean i just i liked to make people laugh yeah. i really i really as a kid i loved it when i when did you I sort of practicing. find that you just you did that and you got a reaction so mm-hmm. yeah that, oh yeah, yeah yeah definitely that's, that's how it goes right yeah. yeah so um and i still enjoy making people laugh and i do that in various places so the making people laugh did that relate to your decision to go into marketing um, I don't know. I mean, there's a certain level of empathy that you have to have in order to make people laugh, and there's definitely a level of empathy that you need to have if you're going to go into marketing. So I think there's there's a tie-in somehow there, but I haven't really put put it together what the two would necessarily mean yeah. or how they'd be interlinked. So how easy was it to find your vocation when you were at, 
at school? Oh, it was uh, not easy. It was not easy at all. Like, when I was younger, I was creative, but I was not uh, encouraged by uh, my mom in that field. And so I kind of struggled uh, trying to figure out, uh, and not, not just my mom, my dad as well. Um, so I struggled to figure out, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? Went to college for three years. Uh, started playing around with computers and doing graphic design on computers in 1989. And it, like a light bulb went off. It's like, this is what I want to do. So I declared my major and prompt, was promptly kicked out of school for bad grades. <laughs> okay. um, so I bounced around, did a bunch of odd jobs. Uh, started working in an independent record store as one of those odd jobs. Started designing flyers for bands, then started designing albums for bands, then CDs for bands. And then a friend of mine let me use her computer to learn graphic design software. And I taught myself graphic design on her computer and then got a job at a pre-press shop. Then went off on my own, had my own graphic design business and then got hooked up with um, Netflix. And I thought when I joined Netflix, I'm the graphic designer. That's what I do. That's so great, you would join Netflix yeah, as a graphic, as a graphic designer. designer. What, what, what year was that around? 2001. 2001. Okay. Yeah, and that's what I thought I was. And then I got in there, and I got to experience what it was like to do brand positioning work and what it was like to do messaging work mm. and uh, use consumer insights to, mm. to, to actually grow the business mm. and then learned about cost per acquisition versus lifetime value on a per channel basis, like all the business aspects of marketing. And it opened up the world of marketing to me um, as not just a, I'm selling stuff to people, but mm. you know, marketing at its best connects people uh, to products and services that improve their lives. And how that gets measured is up to the, the consumer, yeah. right? It's, it could be like this M&M that I get to have once, a, you know, the M&Ms I eat once a day really brighten my afternoon. That improves your yeah. life. Yeah. It's small, so but it's something. all those connections came together. So, right. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Interesting. So. Thank you getting our coffee. Thank so you. Oh, wow. There's it's, a, there's a it's pause adorable. <laughs> like having a tea party. We've got, yeah, little, no, we've got two little yeah. short plates. We should do a little, yeah, little chink taken. Um, oh, that's, that's really... So it, it is, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I think Steve Jobs had a line that, you know, you can't see your life moving forward, but you can see where the lines all line up when you look back. So it's almost like marketing, almost like everything's kind of converted. But, oh, oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get where that comes from. I'm interested in the point of working for a brand like Netflix... Was it a known? I'm, a, I'm making this assumption. That was it known in Australia? It may, I'm sure it was more known in in the US. But when you joined, was it a, hmm. a known big brand? Nope, not at all. No. It, was, it was definitely a startup. Uh, it was known in the tech circles, right? Um, and it, it started in '97. And how I got introduced to Netflix was uh, I was one of those early adopters back then. And I tried everything, and I heard that this company uh, had. 10 free DVD rentals and it was done by mail I'm like well, I'll give it a try and I tried it and it was a revelation like I literally thought to myself at that moment uh, when I tried it this is going to destroy Blockbuster if everyone tries it because yeah, it's yeah. so amazing then you know didn't, didn't think twice about it and then about half a year later uh, my then sister-in-law was playing volleyball with someone who was the graphic designer on the product team at yeah, Netflix yeah. and said hey do you know any graphic designers looking for a job they're hiring one for marketing and Oh, yeah, my brother-in-law, and I sent him my stuff. I got interviewed three rounds of interviews and got hired. So mm. it was pretty miraculous. But no, no, they were not, um, they were not known at all in the yeah. United States. It was very much a, a, a small startup. Yeah, it's that interesting thing in retrospect to go, well, that, that sounds quite cool to work for that startup or that, that um, game-changing brand. But well, it, was, sort of, it's, it's, it, it was tense at times. Yeah. Like, right, you know, looking back, it's, uh, yes, my God, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have been able to experience that. But mm. You know, as you go through something, you don't know how it's going to end up. That's right. Uh, 2002, Reed uh, Hastings, co-founder CEO Reed Hastings, and then CFO Barry McCarthy went down to Blockbuster and said, "Hey, do you want to buy us for 50 million?" And if, if Blockbuster had said yes, there, I would not be sitting here. Yeah, yeah that's right? right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you never know how these journeys are going to go when you're on them. Yeah. You just uh, heads down and hope for the best. And, and I guess in the those those early 
your early days at Netflix, there must have been a degree of, I guess, burning deck that you needed to innovate and you needed to find your spot. Well, the, the, the business needed to find their spot in the in the market to be able to grow. Because well, they did. Uh, yeah, the pivot, the, the critical pivot was the, uh, the when co-founder Mark Randolph and Reed Hastings tried uh, decided to try um, subscription. Yeah, twenty dollars a month, U.S. You get three DVDs at a time. Turn one in, get another one from your list. You still have two. No late fees. All of that. That had strong appeal. Like it wasn't. A, they didn't have obviously mass budget. They wouldn't have mass appeal. But the uptake on that from consumers was like. Okay, yes, this is definitely the way we need to go. Yeah, yeah. And so they pivoted the entire company to be about that. Yeah. And for three, four years, we were focused on just grow, 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 grow. And then around 2004... And is that growing revenue or is that growing supporter base? Probably everything, really. Subscriber base was subscriber the big, base, yeah, subscriber so. base was the, the big thing. Is the, more, the bigger base we could get, the better off we'd be. Yeah. Um, and eventually get to profitability. Um, but then around 2004, our CMO decided, okay if we're going to actually kind of hockey stick, we need to know what we are as a brand. And we did a survey about it. And uh, people told us that we were based, our consumers told us we were basically an efficient vending machine, yeah. which is not very good from a brand standpoint. Because no, no. vending machine breaks down, you go to another one. So we did the research and we figured out that we actually needed to be about movie enjoyment made easy. Because renting a movie was hard. Blockbuster was painful. Going to the movies was expensive. And, it, you know, on the surface, fun. But not really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was. It was. Uh, and we had to, they had yeah. to figure that out, and then scale from there. And, and that, I'm assuming, in that sort of period, when you're a, a member of a team, and there's a vision of what um, Reed Hastings is trying to create, and the team is the, the leadership is trying to create, mm-hmm. but you can't see it all. It, it's almost like the leader's talking about a vision of what was what the business needs to be, but yeah, but, but you're you trying to work towards that. So I'm assuming then like, you need those things like yeah. you need capital, and you need. You need to, to know you've got a, a runway, and you need to have a good team to make sure the vision's there. How, how oh, do you, yeah. when in those times when you, you're not you're not you're not really nailing it, you know you're heading towards something. How do you kind of get it? What, what's the sort of what was your observation of how you harness the team in the vision of building something when it's not you know well, quite it, there yet? It very much came from the top down with Reed, yeah. right? So he time and again proved himself to be correct and making calls. Yeah. So he quickly built a level of trust. Same with the, the leadership, the C-suite uh, team. And they had this, this um, I don't want to call it policy, but the way they operated, their MO was uh, loosely coupled, tight, tightly aligned, right? So they, everyone knew what, what everyone was doing, but you didn't have to check in with other teams before you started doing something because we need, need to move fast. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember distinctly, Reed would say, we're going to get to 5 million subscribers by this time. And just sitting there going, that's not going to happen. And it happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then... You know, he would say, we'll get to 10 million by this time. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen. And so, like, after three or four times of this, he said, oh, we're going to get to 20, you know, 20 million, 30 million by this time. I'm like, yep, it's going to happen. Yeah. Right? You, you just, he starts, the, the calls keep piling up. The good calls keep piling up. Doesn't mean he's perfect. So how do you make those? Like, from a, is that just a, a oh, clearly it is, but a very clever, skillful leader? Well, that. no, but it's, it's, it was based on data, too, yeah, right? Okay. Like, yeah, so, uh, so we had forecasting, planning, and analysis that was, uh, we were able to, Say we're gonna on the top end we'll get this many subscribers on the bottom end we'll get this many subscribers and yeah. we're on track or we're not on track and here's what we're you know we also did this thing called uh, flex budgeting that my friend Eric Ziegler uh, developed where we could just shift money to whatever the most efficient marketing channel was depending on what was going on in the market. So, so you're looking at the data to see what yeah, people so like, yeah. Hey, look, I've got twenty thousand dollars that isn't going to be efficient uh, for me to spend in my channel. I'm going to send it over to direct mail because they've got a better uh, CPA versus LTV ratio uh, this month. Go. Yeah. And then we could 
you know, raise I'm up assuming this is in the early days of things like Google Analytics. And no, this is before Google Analytics. Before Google this Analytics. is all Excel yeah. spreadsheet stuff yeah. that he did. So it's you really sort of looking at the analytics of what's yeah. working and what's us, not working. All of us, yeah. All of us we, we can't afford to waste money on marketing that's not working, so right. we've got to invest it. Absolutely. All the things that it was we, always, we were always optimizing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I said on the introduction before we started the recording that I've been a re- market researcher or researcher for I don't know, 25 or so years, and, and it's, a, it's a fascinating career, but often sort of thing you, 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 still, you still get, particularly from a marketing side, is the pushback from, uh, of, of the value of research and um, people like Steve Jobs are quoted or, or yeah, used as a way of going. They didn't do research. Oh but, boy, don't, that, um, don't get me started on that. Tell me, tell me about that. Drives, like your, that drives me nuts. That yeah. Steve Jobs and the, the, Henry, Henry, the, Henry, the Henry Ford, Ford quote. First of all, the Henry Ford quote is not real. Okay, I, he, I don't think he ever said that. Yeah. But it also uh, doesn't see the forest for the trees with regard to what market research actually is about. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not going in and saying, "Oh, what do you think of this?" And the respondent says, "Oh, I don't like blue." Nope, no blue. And that's what people who use those quotes tend mm. to think about market research. It's, no, you go in, the person says they don't like blue, you start, you la- have them ladder up, the moderator ladders up, you know this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right? And then you, you get these insights and then you relax on and, and kind of like reflect on those insights and figure out, okay, what is it we really talking about here and what do we really need to do? Mm. So when I hear people quote like, Steve Jobs, uh, you know, never did market research. BS. They mm. do they do market research. I know for a fact they do market research. Yeah. May not be wide and widely known, but they do. Yeah. Uh, and well, then I've met one of his ex research managers. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then yeah, well, they did. So. And then the Henry Ford quote is just it, first of all, maybe he, he never, kept it very quiet. Maybe it wasn't wasn't cool to talk about it. But it's that. Well, I mean, it, it interfered with his uh, I'm right. a visionary leader thing, which he mm. was anyway. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't detract from what he accomplished in any way to me. Yeah. Um, getting feedback doesn't diminish. A strategic vision, right? Yeah. Reed had a strategic vision for grow big on DVD, then move into streaming, and then morph that into we need to do Netflix originals so we can escape the gravitational pull of aggregated content. Yeah. Using market research and, and consumer insights doesn't diminish that strategic vision and the accomplishments. Yeah. So I don't know why that that was a problem for Steve, but yeah. So yeah. so do you, was was like I guess the, the whether it's research or whether it's other insights or whether it's data. Uh, before data was so trendy, mm-hmm. was that was that part of like Netflix DNA? Mm-hmm. Was it part of what Reed Hastings always sort of looked at as being co- like core part of how we need to grow the business? Is it because early days things weren't working without data? What, what's what's your sense sort of looking well, at that? Reed was a software engineer by trade, yeah. and he had started Pure Software and sold that mm. off before uh, starting Netflix. But he was very much in the uh, frame of mind of learn from data, right? Learn from A/B testing, learn from beta testing, get consumer feedback, and Mark Randolph, who's the other co-founder, um, who's got a book coming out. Uh, I think it's called "That'll Never Work," which I'm going to buy because I'm fat. even though I lived that that period, I think it's going to be a great insight into uh, his perspective. Um, but he also came from a marketing, uh, more of a marketing background, but also came from a software company, and so he valued feedback. And so you, the two co-founders at at the core of the company valued feedback and insight. And then we had. The other C-suite folks were the same way, but Leslie Kilgore really rounded it out. She was our uh, head of marketing, became CMO, was there 12 years. And she came from uh, Amazon prior to Netflix, but more importantly, P&G prior to yeah. that. And that brought in qualitative, the value of qualitative and ethnographic. Yeah. Um, and she leveled up everyone else in the company on those issues. So you had this core team of leadership that were bought in on what Consumer Insights could do. Yeah. And, and was that was critical. Was that a part of the, 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 I guess, the value set or the... That was in the business. So if you, well, I mean, it, it was it was just part and parcel of how we did things, yeah, right? Okay, yeah. So if you were going to 
if you wanted to, if you had a hypothesis, for example, that uh, this problem has occurred and I think this is the solution, there's no way you were going to just A-B test it on the site. Mm-hmm. You're going to go re- do research and you're going to find out if your hypothesis is right and then if you're going to find out if the solutions you've come up with, because you better have multiple solutions, mm-hmm. if those are directionally correct and then the ones that are directionally correct, you can modify and then you can do A-B testing. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it was just, it was just a part of our DNA. Mm. Now we look back at like video libraries and DVD shops and kind of laugh a little bit and think how silly were they and why didn't some of the the, 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 um, the, the, the organizations behind them um, get out sooner but but it's, uh, we're, uh, we're all wise in, in hindsight mm. at the time you joined Netflix uh, the norm was a, a, a video library or a DVD shop, and that was the, the, the default consumer behavior. That's just what what you did. Yep, yep. Um, a, a blockbuster, well, like, everybody. Yeah. From yep. the, so you've talked about sort of inside. We can talk about that a little bit further as we go through. But what about just the behavior change of just changing the default behavior in, in consumers of going? Well, you don't need to go to a DVD shop right. and, and go through the latest releases. You can you can well, you can switch that across. Again, Consumer Insights yeah. gave us the, the the window into what the reality was. So on the surface, you talk to people and say, hey, do you like Blockbuster? And they're like, sure. Uh, it's fun. We go to the store, we get to pick movies out, the kids love it, blah, blah, blah. But then you start asking them to walk through. Oh, talk about a typical night when you, you've decided, okay, you're at home and you want to rent a movie. Yeah. Uh, well, then we got to get in the car, get everybody in the car, and that's a pain. And then we get down to the Blockbuster and you know, we never really find the one, the first choice that we want to get, and that's kind of a pain in the butt. And then the, the person behind the counter is usually some teenager that just couldn't be bothered with us. And then we get it home, and sometimes, you know, someone's sick all of a sudden, we didn't watch the movie, and then we got to rush back and get the DVD there, and hopefully we won't get a late fee. And what you get, what we were under, they able to understand was there's this kind of pool of disdain for the process. Not for Blockbuster, per se, although they, they were the poster child, definitely. But they people just really didn't enjoy that part of the process, and the entire industry was modeled off the same yeah. thing that Blockbuster. Was so you were aware of that. The, 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 we the, became the, the aware of consumer. We, we became yeah, aware of it, and that's why our brand position after that that point was movie enjoyment made easy. Yeah. Let's drive that home. We don't charge late fees. Free shipping both ways. Get yeah. your DVDs in about one business day because we built out our infrastructure mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Um, provide recommendations based on algorithmic uh, feedback from the the, the, the ratings and write-ups that they would do, yeah. right? Just continually improve and provide outsized value yeah. to the customer as opposed to the, the model that was the dated blockbuster model, which was you can rent a movie from us, but if you don't get it back in time, we're punishing you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a different mindset, yeah. um, and it's something that physical stores, at least chains, couldn't replicate without destroying themselves financially. Yeah. It was a counter-positioning. Yeah. So, so the data that you had was able to really say that the this... this I guess this discontentment in consumer behavior was there, so you could almost sort of um, pile in. So we on just have to tap into it, and the way we tapped into it is try us for free, try the free trial. And the minute they got their first DVD, that was it, yeah. because they would get it in one business day, totally blowing their mind, and they'd be like, "I can't believe how easy this is. This is amazing. I'm never going back to renting." Some obviously did mm. go back to renting. It wasn't that, but that moment, that surprise and delight moment, was just—it was amazing because that was our, our our piercing of the the hate bubble, if you will, yeah. <laughs> for the process. Is here's a free trial and your first DVD yeah. arrives, and, and so you could see you, you could or see or sense the when there was a tipping point of consumer behavior starting to oh, yeah. tip across. Yeah, right to around 2004. And, and the great thing was, you know, 
I think about the mail you get. Mostly bills, yeah. adverts, not yeah. very good. Hey, it's like a present for me, yeah. right? It was just so. There's so many things that worked in our favor in that yeah. way. So just changing the messaging and the way which, which it was. Not even that. It was just that, the, like, the DVD come, came in a, a mailer. It was red, yeah. and we consciously tried to, quote unquote, own the color red in that space the way uh, yeah. Target does in America on retail or Coke does. Yeah. We tried to own it in the retail in the entertainment space. So you get you're sorting through this mail, and there's this mailer that looks like nothing else it's red it's got the big netflix logo and you know that's a dvd Mm -hmm. that you picked out right so there's an excitement there and opening it is exciting you get to open it like a present yeah how much do you think uh your early adopters um they were adopting your your product um in australia you probably say put to put it up the, the 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 big guys to 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 sort of say to to say the big guys are not doing it right, so we're going to go to a, a, a disruptor. Right. Do you think there was much behavior, much in the? Was it just because it was a better product that you were offering, or do you think that was there much, was there anything in the? We don't like these the box block is too big, and we, we don't really like what they're about. So. No, I, I just think that uh, early adopters they were the ones buying the DVD players. Yeah. Um, they were probably buying a lot of DVDs, and they saw a pretty tremendous value in being able to pay twenty bucks a month and just turn yeah. DVDs as much as you want. Yeah. Right there, and it was actually a, a much better value than going yeah. to the video store. Yeah. Um, and at, you know, as they go, so goes the mainstream, right? Yeah. If they like it, yeah. so they start talking to their friends who are not early adopters, but next to early adopters, it grows. Those yeah. people get excited and they talk to their friends who are more mainstream, and it just yeah. keeps mainstreaming yeah, yeah, that yeah. way. But I don't think there so was, it was a niche in terms of people who were early adopters of DVD players and the likes. Yeah, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They'd, open up their, they'd get their new DVD, open it up, and there'd be a there'd be an Netflix advert for us. Or, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, and it. It was, it was the perfect moment because they're so excited about this new thing that they spent 800 to to $1,000 US on. And oh, what's this? Oh, what? Oh, this, I can, this, mad, this gives yeah. me more utility for this thing That's that I right. just spent a lot of money on? That's fantastic. So it's kind of a virtuous cycle there. Yeah. And again, finding that right time for you to introduce your product to them when they're right. the most excited. Right. And as opposed to like a banner ad, which, yeah. you know, we, we did banner advertisement. We did a search, a paid search and things like that. But the, the, the moment you... The moment you want to be there is when they're most excited about where they're going to use your product. Yeah, that's right. And so, that's and it doesn't seem like too much money. One, no. one thing I'm always interested in with sectors like, um, like a, a DVD and movies and, and the likes, um, and there's so many sectors, more, more and more sectors nowadays than there's like we ever been. Is why don't the why doesn't the incumbent who is so strong and been making so much money out of it <laughs> um, adjust? Do they, do they do they have such confidence in their existing model that they don't? Do they? I don't know. Is it too hard to shift? Do, do I they think, not have the same insights? Well, they definitely don't have the same insights. I don't think they understood that that latent pool of hatred that I talked about for the process. Yeah. I don't think they understood that. I, I really thought, hey, we've been Are doing this. Are they not this. seeing it? The, 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 I'm sure they did their own research to a certain extent. Yeah, I'm not, sure they did, but I don't think they were asking. The, I don't think or, they were asking the right questions. Yeah, okay. Right. I, I don't think they were seeking to find out if they were going to be. If there was some way they were going to be disrupted, yeah. they were look, trying to make iterative improvements. Um, and you know, Blockbuster had been and the rental industry had been doing the same thing for decades, right? You rented a VHS tape the same way you rented a DVD. Nothing changed. There were still late fees. Um, and I think that they just got too 
I don't want to say smug, but they, maybe that's the right word. Um, and we're, we just saw this, just the other day I saw this, FedEx, the CEO of FedEx has constantly said, Amazon is not, trying, is not going to compete with FedEx. Amazon's not going to compete with FedEx. Just yesterday, I think it was yesterday, uh, FedEx said, we are no longer delivering for Amazon at all. Why? Because Amazon is building a FedEx competitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. so it's, they, I don't know if they just don't want it to be happening, so they deny it. Uh, I don't know. Like, like I said, Reed and Barry flew to Blockbuster headquarters in 2002 to see if uh, Blockbuster wanted to buy them for $50 million. And Blockbuster laughed them out of the room and said, it's a niche product. No one will ever want it. Was that based on market research? Absolutely not. Was mm-hmm. it based on any sort of consumer data? Nope. It was based on the CEO's vision. Mm. Which was well, confidence, and I, I'm well. assuming Blockbuster yeah. was a franchise oh, yeah. model. So you go well. well they had they had company stores and they had franchise yeah. uh, stores as well. But I, I mean, there were nine thousand. The, the cascading, stores. I don't know, change in their whole financial model. I would have thought would be huge if they, they, so. So maybe it's almost there's a like the, I'm sure you've heard of it. The confirmation bias yeah. is that sort of bias where you you look for evidence that proves your yeah. your your, 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 right. your case. I and right. I wonder in those big organisations whether they just they can't. It's almost impossible for them to change, or they they are seeking growth. Yeah. So they don't. They don't they're, right. they're not investing in innovation or and change. Or at some point, I think they realized that Netflix was strategically counterpositioned to them, meaning that if they tried to replicate Netflix, they would just rattle apart financially, and they did. Right. That's what ended up happening. They mm. had, they they launched a program called Total Access. You can get DVDs through the mail, and you can return them in store. It's like from a consumer standpoint, off the charts value, and we started flatlining a little bit. But they were bleeding money to do it, and it just wasn't sustainable, and we knew it. We were, we were able to track their growth of their, their DVD-by-mail business and then predict our, our, our financial department, our CFO, was able to predict within a month when they were, were going to go out of business. So you could, yeah, because okay. because we knew what they were spending and we knew it was not sustainable. Yeah, okay. Uh, and they, they, they were in such a bit place, they had debt covenants already that they were having trouble covering, so they couldn't go get more money. Yeah. They were already deep. Um, and it's just one of those things where maybe they realized at some point. So how, could, how, would, how, do you, how do you know? How does a CFO know how much money Blockbuster might spend? Is that sort of a, like obviously having your data? And so early on, when Blockbuster did uh, launch their total access um, on their mail, we, of course we signed up because we wanted to see what the experience was like. But someone realized that there was a number on there, and that number was their subscriber count. Mm. And so we would just have people sign up, and we were able to track the growth. And we know about what the cost was per acquisition for that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then cost in the back end for, for fulfillment. And we knew what debt covenants they had. So you, you basically triangulate all this data that's publicly available because they're a publicly traded company and the data that we're able to discern yeah, because they were okay. dumb enough to yeah, put their yeah. number on an envelope. Um, and we were able to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it so it's cool. using that. So it's, it's, it's taking that power of the data and bringing it, yeah. bringing it together. So yeah. And modeling it and, and like yep. I said, having clever... Not just having an accountant, having an, an accountant that can actually kind of play with data oh, and yeah, very make those right. predictions. Be, be and that must take away that, that nervous of going, oh, excuse my language, but um, another Australian kind of term, but, oh, we're screwed because, like... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's mild. That's not... That's, no that's, offense there. That's global, is it? There we go. Yeah, right. yeah it's global. Um, um, yeah, it does. It but, does. But, you, but it must be kind of well, rather, I mean, rather than fearing that we're, we're being, we're being disrupted, like the... the the disruptor is being disrupted. You can kind of have that sense that no, we're actually in a pretty well. But then you you know you, you get a, <laughs> it's a double edged sword. So you get a, a level of confidence that things are going badly for Blockbuster, one of your biggest competitors. But then you have to keep your eye over your shoulder about say like Amazon or mm. Apple, who have deep pockets yep. that could enter and just completely compete against you yeah. uh, on a one on one basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was never a point where we were like ah, whew, we're done. 
Yeah. Right? It was, it was, we were on it all the time. We, right. we, we did not, for a second, dismiss Blockbuster until they were actually yeah. out of business. Yeah. The disruptor becomes the target, don't you? Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that's, we did not want to become the, we didn't want to just kind of ride on our laurels mm. ever. And that's why, that's why they shifted to Netflix Originals, too. Yeah. What, what lesson is there for, for large organisations that are doing well that they're going to have? I'm assuming they have a group like Blockbuster and, like you say, big banks and other big organisations have got a board and investors who mm-hmm. want to see their, their profits going up. Sure. Um, but then they also talk about innovation. It's yeah. become more of a conversation, a bit of, bit of rhetoric a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. What, what's the lesson to organisations like that to, to actually know, protect themselves? Or, or, or is it just inevitable that they'll be, they'll be replaced by somebody else? I think it's inevitable that they'll be replaced by someone if they don't actually do some sort of initiative internally to say, like, all right, every six months every year, whatever, I would do six months. Let's take stock of where, what we are, where we are in the marketplace, where our competitors are, what, what technology is coming online soon that could uh, negatively or positively impact our business, and how can we leverage that? How can we, what can we do? How can we disrupt ourselves? And then, then we take a look at, okay, so a startup could ostensibly come along and do X. Okay, what is the cost of us doing X, or doing that to our, ourselves? And then if it's not too much, then we, you can do the pivot. And if it's too much, it's like, okay, so how do we hedge against this? What, what can we do to make sure that this doesn't happen? Mm. But I think absolutely every company should have, the, at the least the CEO should be doing this. Um, but somebody should be taking a look every six months at what is happening in the larger sphere, in the competitive marketplace, but also the larger sphere that could impact positively or negatively the business. And, you know, is there a strategic shift that needs to happen? Mm. Uh, you can't just be run and gun day to day only. Yeah. Otherwise, you will get disrupted. Almost having it so uh, moving, thinking away from the ma- main or almost only KPI as being profit, right? Short term profit. Yeah, and if that's, if that's your broader. focus, you'll get disrupted. Where I'm sure Netflix was thinking about, yeah, ultimately we want to have a good profit and we want to make a, a successful business, but that wasn't wasn't the only and profit, probably wasn't the yeah. Uh, profit wasn't even, you know, getting to profitability is good, but long-term viability and growth is better in some regard, right? So Netflix was in the United States, and we expanded to Canada, Brazil, Latin America, um, UK and Ireland. Um, but we were having some strong issues with our content. Our content wasn't very powerful and compelling in other markets like Seoul, uh, South Korea, Japan, uh, Germany, it was just wasn't compelling for a variety of reasons. So the shift to Netflix originals allowed Netflix to unlock the entire global market. Well, in order to do that, they have to spend tons of money. They have to go into debt. Mm-hmm. But investors and boards are totally fine with that because that means their pool of who, can, who they can acquire as customers is yeah, much okay. bigger, which can lead to more profits later on down the road. Because so, early days of exploring expansion across uh, the globe, mm-hmm. there were certain markets that weren't as open to the Netflix model well, as others. So it wasn't so much they weren't open to the model, it's just that the, the content that we were delivering wasn't going to be better than what they had access to. Yeah, I'll give, I can give you a couple examples. Yeah, I can like, do that. Yeah. Like, uh, South Korea, uh, they had blazing fast internet speed, unbelievable internet speed. And they also had piracy, and there was no stigma around piracy whatsoever because uh, people were paying for it. Yeah. So they thought, well, I'm paying for it. But they were paying $0.80 cents to $1.30 to download a high-res version of a movie that was still in theaters. And they could do it in minutes. Mm-hmm. 
And so we come ambling in, and we're saying, hey, how do you like these second-tier thing, these movies, and you can pay us $8 a month? And they're like, you're crazy. Why would we do that? Yeah. And Japan was similar, only it was not piracy and downloading. It was a DVD store, Sutaya, that was very popular, still probably very popular, train stations in uh, uh, in Germany, there's government TV. Like you pay the government a license fee, you get so many channels that are movie channels and TV channels, and their content was similar to ours. So they're like, "Why would we pay you?" So there was, it was the content that turned out to be the big sticking point for true global expansion for Netflix. It was the thing that was hampering our global expansion. And once they, the the original content came online and it proved to be successful and universally appealing, boom. So again, did the original content come from? research or insights or did it come from um, experimenting with different offerings to see I, I think it came more from um, intuition right so our first foray into originals if you will was in 2006 we were DVD only we still weren't streaming and uh, uh, chief content officer Ted Sarandos would look for movies that weren't getting picked up at, at festivals or getting picked up for distribution that we knew we could actually you know, show to our viewers, and because of our viewers, we would actually be able to amortize that just fine. Wouldn't be great for box office, wouldn't be great for HBO, but it would be great for us because we had mm-hmm. that data that we knew. Um, and we did that for a little while, but it just turned out to be a little bit too onerous, and you were buying stuff that was already made. You couldn't really create mm-hmm. stuff. And so I think there was that desire to create stuff from that experience. And then my, around 2010, um, it was like, yeah, we could, we could actually create good content. And they licensed the first... Netflix original was a licensed piece that was yeah. filmed in uh, Norway, Lillehammer, yeah. uh, starting the guitarist from Bruce Springsteen's band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then House of Cards was going to be created, and Netflix says, look, we know that people watched House of Cards, the original BBC series. We know they're fans of Kevin Spacey. We know they like David Fincher movies. This makes a ton of sense. Let's do this. And, and clearly that's a big investment, isn't it? It's almost it taking... Well, 100 million um, for two, two seasons. Available cash or available sort of funds to go, well, let's put those funds into... Into um, yeah. into into this new offering, right? Rather than saying let's distribute to, distribute it out to um, right investors or the likes, it's going let's put this back into and again it, it comes down to growth, yeah, right? Because right, yeah. if we did this and it was successful, suddenly boy, the, the world opens up. Where Not a blockbuster might say, oh, geez, um, yeah, we've got we've got some investors and we've got to re- make a return. Right? They don't have that. They don't have. I don't think they had that sort of. Um, they didn't have the heart for that kind of. Innovation. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's interesting. Just before I move on to another topic, um, where do you see video streaming mm. and, and the likes going now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it now gets interesting um, to me because Blockbuster, when they get when they launched Netflix original or Blockbuster Netflix when they launched uh, Netflix originals, so they knew they wanted to become HBO before HBO could become them. Well, they did. And now HBO is becoming them, right? And AT&T and Disney, everybody's getting into the streaming game. So now quality content is may not be enough. So what do you do? So my, my guess is, and it's totally a guess, is that they move into more uh, localized content, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to see a lot more productions being made in Australia for Australian uh, audiences, but that's not going to stop them from taking that and exporting it to, say, Mexico if people are going to yeah. like it there. I think you're going to see more of that. But it is interesting because what they wish for, they are getting. So now what? Find out. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you see people in, in Australia that, who use, um, what do you call it, the routers to sort of change, the, to say they're in the US, they can get better content. Oh, yeah, VPN yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah. What do you sort of, where, where do you sort of see things like that occurring? Do you have any sort of sense of 
like in Australia because it's a smaller market, maybe some of the content we might not get access to. Yeah. Do you, do you see that as a sort of a... I, all I know is that, that, that Netflix's goal is to be a global entertainment brand. Yes. And they want you to have the same experience whether you're in Mexico, whether you're in Australia, the United States, or Finland. Yeah. Right? That's their ultimate goal. Um, they don't... They don't gate content because they don't like Australia, right? Mm. <laughs> or because they don't like... And is that having... I assume that's, that's the right, having rights to yeah, play exactly, the content in exactly. that market. Yeah, exactly. And even, you know, Netflix Originals, if, they're not, if it's something that they bought as a, or licensed, maybe they don't have it for every territory. Mm. Um, but the goal for them is to get to a, a place where, like, there's... Everything is available to everyone everywhere. Mm. That's the goal. And does that come from having it so it's just ubiquitous, ubiquitous? My tongue right. Um, and every household has that, so therefore financially you can invest in more content. Is that, is that or, or Netflix can invest well, I think, in more content? Uh, I don't know if they're still pursuing, but when I was there uh, in 2012, right before I left, there was talk about the idea of having multiple subscriptions within their household. Thank you. Right? So you would have, like, I would have my, I would have my subscription, my fiancé would have her subscription, my, my niece would have her subscription, and we'd get the, exactly the content we each of us wanted. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're still pursuing that, but then that even makes the market even bigger, right? Because yeah. then suddenly it's not just one subscription per household, it's multiple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, again, and different members of the household have got different, <coughs> different content tastes. that they, 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 they want. Right. Um, what, what's your... Uh, Observation of uh, of Australia. Just you've popped into Australia from. Uh, oh, thank you. Where are you? Where are you based? I should not. Uh, San Jose, California, San Jose, about an hour south of uh, San Francisco. Yeah. So, yeah. so how's how's Sydney different to San Jose? It's much. It feels much bigger. It feels like in a legitimate city. Uh, San Jose is sprawl, right? Yeah. San Jose is spread out. It's Silicon Valley. It's uh, ridiculously expensive. Um, this Sydney feels. It's weird. It's like a combination of uh, New York and someplace with a uh, kind of more um, laid-back vibe. Yeah. Right? Okay. It's, it's, yeah it's, okay. it's, it's a combination of, like, hustle and bustle, but, you know, then you go down by the harbor, and it's like, wow, this is just mind-blowing. This place mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And I've only been here for a couple of days. I'm only here for a few days anyway, um, and I can't wait to come back. I really yeah. can't. It, it's... Um, and I can't wait to actually go up to Melbourne and, and other places and maybe go over to the uh, West Coast as well yeah. uh, and check it out. Does Australia have a reputation of, in their entrepreneurship or pioneering or is there any sort of sense of what we're like? I think there's, uh, there's an understanding that there is a startup scene that happens here. Uh, particularly Melbourne seems to be a little bit more of a... Uh, have a little bit more play than yeah, Sydney, okay. uh, at least in the United States. With like 99 Designs, I believe, came out of uh, yeah. Melbourne, yeah, okay. went to the United States, and now came back. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a sense that there is some, uh, there's entrepreneurship here, uh, and startups happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't. I don't get the sense that they think it's Silicon Valley, but yeah. still, there's, there's that. Do you spirit. ever sense sort of culturally how we might be different in Australia to the U.S. In a positive and negative way. You mean uh, generally or in yeah, startups? Just generally, kind of just your obs- I guess your sort of take on obviously your your, your couple of days in Australia. But do, yeah, you have a sort of, do you have a sense of like I don't know what what make it what make what are some of the advantages Australia might have to make them potentially stronger to, on a global level and maybe some of the things that maybe might be a might be a um, incumbent. Uh, well, I would say that, like, I was thinking about this the other day. The number of bands that I know about and art musical artists that came out of Australia, have come out of Australia, is pretty astounding mm. given the population relative to, say, the United States. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and very impressive. So there's a lot of creativity here, which I think is great. One thing I, I, 
I did notice, like, when I came to give this talk, as someone said, hey, thanks for coming all this way to give this talk. And it's like, you don't, you don't have to thank me to come all this way. I, I, I'm happy to share knowledge. I'm happy to visit Australia. Uh, you don't need to think of Australia as not worth visiting. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's like... Well, I, I, so, so potentially... Have a little Maybe more confidence. not as confident in our Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, I know uh, in America we tend to be arrogant. <laughs> not we're, we're confident, but we're confident, overconfident in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I've been to places, and I, I would love to see people be more confident, more, yeah. Fucking hey, we're Australia. Yeah, Pardon yeah. my language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really good. And, um, yeah, what's the vibe in, in the U.S. at the moment? Uh Darkness. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. With the, with all the mass shootings that have just happened, yeah. and with the racist attacks, and, and with uh, with Trump in the White House, I'm afraid. It, it depends general... on who you ask, too, right? Yeah. Like if someone, if you were asking, Is that sort of almost my sense is that um, existential Western East, Western East has got a certain perspective, and then the Central might have a different perspective, or is it really kind of scattered across the U.S. is different? It's scattered across the U.S. Yeah. There are people. I mean, the Bay Area is pretty left leaning, uh, but there are people in the Bay Area that fully support Donald Trump and all mm. of his policies, and it's uh, for me, it's a sense of existential dread right now mm. uh, because. You can't, like, I know that something is wrong. Like, there's no, a complete lack of empathy if you're separating children from families and you're locking the kids up in any sort of way for not doing anything. Mm-hmm. That's a psychological damage you're putting on it. Yet, someone who supports Trump sees this as an invasion. We need to get rid of them. We need to take care of them and, and get them out of here. And it's just like, where is the empathy? And I can't talk that person into my point of view. Mm-hmm. So there's a level of frustration with that, too. And... Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong on some things as well. I'm, I'm not. I'm not all knowing. Mm. I've got my opinions based on what I see and observe. Um, but there just seems to be this camp A, camp B, and never the tween shall meet. Mm. And it's really, it's really depressing to be honest with you. Yeah. Like I, I, I was and looking. It's hard to sort of move, have, have a conversation about the, um, yeah, culture of the U.S. or the mind and vibe of the U.S. without having Trump as part of that. Right. Exactly. I know, and that's just that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, to be you know after what was ha- what happened in El Paso and what happened in Dayton the, the mass shootings, uh, you know coming to Sydney was like almost like a a mental relief for me. Mm. Even though the, even it, though I wasn't under peril or anywhere near any of that, I was near the Gilroy shooting, but I wasn't anywhere under dare, uh, under uh, peril. But from an existential standpoint, it was just like oh, I'm getting on a plane, I'm getting to go to Sydney. This is good. Mm. But you know, you keep reading the news and it just keeps getting. Not worse, but just keeps more of the worst. I don't know. It's is there a sort of a, a call for sort of you know, gun legislation and all that sort of stuff? I read that there, there might be something happening. Uh, and the big roadblock, of course, is uh, Mitch, Mc, Mitch McConnell, who head, heads up the Senate, mm-hmm. who refuses to bring any sort of vote on any sort of gun reform whatsoever. Uh, I think background checks is now in play. Because so. we had, oh, geez, uh, several decades ago, I think it was, yep. we had a... A mass shooting in um, Tasmania, and yep. almost after that, our prime, prime minister said, "Well, we can't have that again." And obviously, the bad things happen from time to time. But yeah. um, I did see some a, a graph the other day of the US was it's insane know, 250 or so. It's insane mass like uh, shootings, no, I, and, we and look, the rest of the world has almost dropped back and go, "Wow, how do you?" That must be kind of just even, even that must create a, a level of fear in a country. About, it does, about and it's what, you know we and, we reference Australia's referendum to get rid of all the guns and, and how New Zealand reacted to the mass shooting that happened. It's just like, 
why are we not able to do this? And part of the reason is because of that damn Second Amendment in the mm-hmm. Constitution uh, that says that we, you have the right to bear arms uh, and to form a well, well-organized militia. Mm-hmm. And it's like that was written by people who were worried about That's kings. Right. And history changes. Yes, it really. it's we move forward in time. We're not still walking around in is the dark the at night. structure of the U.S.? I kind of want to sort of go, it's, it's almost seems like so hard to change that and it, it almost seems like the... Um, the president has so much power, and it's one individual. It, 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 like it, well, it must be hard from a yeah, to have that have that kind of uh, strength away from like uh, away from Trump and that presidency and even politics. Do you see cultural tr- changes in the U.S.? Do you see positive or not so positive things of, of I see I know, what people are doing? I see both. Yeah. Right. So I see people helping to uh, protect people from ICE raids. ICE is the immigration enforcement company yes. or uh, arm. Um, I see people donating shelters, help, donating things to help the kids that are that are incarcerated, and trying to get them donating the legal services to help get them reunited. But then, you know, you see awful stuff like this guy the other day punched a 13-year-old in the head because the kid refused to take off his hat for the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, and it's like, what the hell are you doing? He's a 13-year-old kid. You don't punch him. Yeah, mm. just uh, anyway. Drives me nuts. Yeah. But I do. I see. I see goodness happen every day, and I see horribleness happen every day. And that's that's part of the. Yeah. That's unfortunately right now the landscape. And you know, to the the president having power, they have power. But what Trump has is a brand, right? Brand. He, he yeah, knows okay. how to develop. He has developed a cult of personality, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. That's the biggest problem here, is because. You can have evidence that he's done wrong, or you can have evidence that uh, he is doing something that is counterproductive, and people will just say, "I don't care, I trust him," mm. because of that a personal brand. brand isn't right. it really? Yes. So it's like, how do you counteract that? Yeah. And that's the that's yeah. the big. There's an argument. I've sort of seen a couple of elections recently, and just some commentary, Australia included, and in Europe, and yes, the US as well, where we've moved away from politics being sent center aligned to being left and left and right aligned. Yeah, so yeah. people going, Wow, I'm either this side, so I'm sort of over here, sort of very pro environment and um, equality and, and, and things like that. And on the other side it's very protectionist and, 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 and almost yeah. concerned, which is concerning when you start having like we start assuming if you're in the right circle of friends, you go, well, everybody's really looking at making the world better and then on the other side you've got people who are very um, angry uh, yeah and, 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 it's, yeah. and it's, what's it's, interesting to me like i think of the, the political spectrum not as a line but as a like a horseshoe shaped arc that never touches mm-hmm. and if you look at the behaviors of the extreme left and the extreme right just the behavior strip out the language strip out, they're very similar mm-hmm. it's like all you have to do is switch a couple of words and now you're on the extreme left yeah and yeah. it's just mind-blowing to me that that is that that never seems to dawn on them like yeah. you do realize you guys aren't that far apart you want similar things but you're just like totally a uh, doing going doing going about it the wrong way yeah. to get there. It's just uh, okay. Just, All right, let's let's sort of yeah. Bring sorry, to us to, no, no, that's really it's good. You're be sorry. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. So we started off with, you're talking about curiosity right at, right at the start. But we, um, you as a young boy, mm-hmm. um, well, I usually finish off as your tips for a successful life, a successful uh, career, um, and that could be. For young people, it could be sort of for somebody who wants to start a business, whatever you want to do. What's your tips moving forward? Uh, always be learning, always be curious, um, and share when appropriate. Yeah. Right? Um, don't let people walk all over you, of course. But uh, the idea is that you know you can help others as you help yourself, yeah. um, and you should always be learning. Always be learning. So when always. you say share, what does that mean? Like, for example, I so 
this conference uh, that I spoke at uh, uh, yesterday. Research Society. Yeah, the Research yeah. Society conference yesterday. Um, they flew me and they paid for the plane ticket in the hotel, but they didn't. There's no speakers fee or anything like that. Yeah. I'm here because I like sharing knowledge, yeah, yeah. and they covered the, the the onerous part of me getting here. Um, and so it's like, and several people have approached me. I'm doing this podcast, right? I'm not yeah. saying, hey, well, yeah, well, yeah you got to pay me. Yeah. It's it. I like sharing the knowledge that I've got in my head. Yeah. It helps me, but if it can help other people I'll too. I'll you a coffee. Ah, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, correction, dollars. correction, yes. Um, I, I got a coffee out of this. And, and water. That's Let's it. not discount the water. But I don't know. I just think if you can help other people level up with what you know, then do it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Excellent. And how can people find you? On the interweb. Oh well, let's see. I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, the bear at the Barry We. Yeah. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I do a lot of writing and posting your on LinkedIn. I think I've, I've heard stories of your LinkedIn. You take photos of. Uh, what do you take photos? Oh of? no, the LinkedIn is just for professional. Just for, oh, we'll get to that. Though. I know you're talking about right. okay. um, LinkedIn. Uh, definitely, I write on Medium. Yeah. And I've just started a uh, series, a short video series on brand and business and marketing and how to think about brand as opposed to performance marketing yeah. called Barry on Brand and Business. It's on YouTube. It's also on my site, consultbwe.com. And then for fun, yeah. uh, on Instagram and YouTube, I review uh, odd-flavored potato chips, interesting-flavored snacks yeah. uh, under the name uh, In the Chips with Barry. Okay. Uh, cool. And then I also have Craft Beer Barry yeah. and then uh, my regular account as well. Yeah, so, good. Good yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we'll share all those links on the on the, the, the post. So thank you so much, Barry. It's been yeah. really great. Thank Thanks. You so it was fun. Right. Thank all you. All the best. All right. To comment on today's show, do so via Square Holes or myself on Twitter or your favourite social media. You can find me at Jason Dunstone. For more on today's show, other episodes and articles on all things human-centred, customer-focused, innovation and entrepreneurship, go to squareholes.com forward slash blog. Thank you for listening. Uru.